Good morning, everyone. And anybody watching at home or watching later, good morning, evening, afternoon, good night. Yes, so we're starting a new series, Falls on the Hill. And it's all about God's kingdom established here on earth. Now, if you are part of this church here, you are part of God's kingdom. That's what you've entered into. You're part and parcel of God's kingdom. But God's kingdom is, is moving forward. It doesn't stand still. It expands and it grows. So we want to look at this over the next few months into next year. We want to, to, to have a look, a fresh look at the Sermon on the Mount. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ unpacks for want of a better word, really, a manifesto of what his kingdom is and what it can be in our lives. So, the fools on the hill. If you have a Bible with you, or if you can turn one on, um, if you can maybe go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I can hear me breathing, can't I? <laughs> okay. Chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 27 to the end of the chapter. This is what it says. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So this is a fool talking to other fools this morning. The idea that from what Paul is making here, he's unpacking the fact that nobody comes with any qualification for this kingdom. Nobody. Doesn't matter how wise you think you are. Doesn't matter how rich or how powerful you are in this world, it doesn't count for entry into God's kingdom. So he says, so that no flesh, no boasting at all, can stand in his presence. Now what Paul has used there, he's taken a passage from Jeremiah 9. So if you have the Bible still open, if you can go to Jeremiah 9. And again, we're going to read 23 through 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me 
that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Now that is where we want to go. We want to get to a place where we understand God in whatever capacity we have and that we know him. The end of the Sermon on the Mount is very clear that for Christ to know us is incredibly important. So that is where our goal is. That's where we're headed. We want to know Christ. We want to know God. Now, I underestimate. Now, I, for years, I've been a carpet fitter. And particularly between my 20, in my 20s, I was a full-time carpet fitter. So I understand about estimating. And I know how bad a thing is if you underestimate it. In carpet fitting, it's crucial you don't do that. Because if you do that, it's really costly. And you cannot achieve the thing that you've set out to do. You can't complete. Now, there are two things in particular that I really underestimate. And the first one is this. Okay, my sin. I really underestimate my sin. I don't fully appreciate how badly it affects me. And I really don't get how much it affects those around me that are closest to me. Now, the reason I underestimate it is because I live in a world that is full of it. Everybody is a sinner. So I don't see it. I'm not as bad as somebody else. Somebody else is worse than me and vice versa. I have become desensitized to it. So I underestimate it. So that's my sin. Second thing that I underestimate. Okay? I underestimate God's holiness. The reason I underestimate God's holiness is because there is nothing in this world that compares to that. I have no idea of what real holiness is. I can talk about it, I can imagine to a degree, but I have no idea of what God's holiness is, how pure he is how righteous he is. I have no way of stretching my imagination enough to understand that. So here I am. I'm a guy that underestimates. And because I underestimate, 
I don't think these two things are that far apart. I really think they're more like here. That's my sin, because it's not that bad. And I think it can go right next door to God's holiness, because I can't understand how holy that is. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is going to unpack to us how far apart these two things are, and really how important what this table represents to us is, because that's at the distance we can get as far apart as possible. But in the world's thinking, it's not that bad. So you're a sinner, isn't everybody? And you don't do anything really to hurt anybody. You don't really do anything out of selfish ambition. But we do. We do. And because of God's holiness, we're separated. So Jesus unpacks on the Sermon on the Mount how you get into this kingdom and where it leads you. Now, move this on. Have you ever seen one of these before? Does anybody know what it is? It's a map. Yes, we're on, the, we're on course. Sorry, I heard, I heard somebody... <laughs> it is. See, it's a map of a shopping centre. You've probably come across these and looked at these. Here's another one. Now, when you enter, maybe if you go to a shopping centre or a shopping mall for the very first time, you're going to use one of these. What is the things that you're looking for? There's something on there that you'll be looking for, and it's probably two things. No? No ideas? Well, let me flick on. Okay, now, it's there now. You should be able to see this. See, what you're really looking for is that. That's the important bit. You are here. The other thing you're looking for is wherever it is you need to get to. So if it's W103, whatever shop that is. <laughs> I don't think it is. It's W103. It's, uh, you need the two spots. You need to be able to find those because you need perspective. Now, I'm going to suggest that the Sermon on the Mount is like this. It gives perspective. Because without the two points, do you know what? We could get lost in any one of these other things that we don't really need to be involved in, that we're not looking for. So as long as we know where we entered and what the goal is, then we can achieve it. So I'm going to have a quick drink. So the Sermon on the Mount gives us that. It brings things in perspective. It gives us focus. It gives us direction. It gives us a goal. <clears throat> Excuse me. In this world, the world has become shrunk. Really has been reduced. It's been 
taken from a globe into something the size of one of these. That's our world now. If you've got a mobile phone, you're in touch with anywhere on the planet, as long as there's internet connection, Wi-Fi, a signal, whatever. You have access to anywhere. You can get involved in pe with people on the other side of the world. You can get involved with people just down the road. This has shrunk the world to this sort of size. Now, in that, that means you can have access to lots of things, and also lots of things have access to you. Some of the things that you get involved in on these things are really helpful. You need information sometimes, and you can find it. Whether the information is good, who knows? Because we're just wide open to anybody's views, anybody's thoughts, anything that somebody wants to sell us, anything that somebody wants to persuade us of. Some, like I say, some is good, some is not so good. Now, in all of that, the church as well has been shrunken down in there. And in some cases, the church has actually shrunken down its message as well. And today, sometimes, the church presents the gospel in a sugar-sweet sort of way. Now, you, let me explain what I mean. I, if you look in Romans 8, verse 1, most of us know that off by heart. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, see, that is music, isn't it? Isn't that good? There is no condemnation. You see, remember my sin that I've underestimated. I don't want to be condemned for that. I really don't. Do you know what? I don't want to be held accountable for everything that I've done for the wrong reasons, the things that I've thought that have not been good. I don't want to be held accountable for that. I don't want to be condemned. I really don't. And that's good. That's really good because the whole world is in that situation. But is that it? Is that it? Because there's more. And the reason the Sermon on the Mount is constructed the way it is is Christ is pushing hard against my flesh. And he wants, he wants to deliver me of that. He wants to remove that from the way that I live and in the way that I think and in the actions that I do. Because it's the rules... I was going to point to a slide that I've moved on from, sorry. It's his kingdom. It's his kingdom by his standards. And his standards are so much higher than mine. Now, C.S. Lewis... He puts it like this. <clears throat> he says, When I was a child, I often had toothache, and I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not till the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt that she would give me an aspirin, but I knew she would do something else. 
I knew she would take me to the dentist next morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I know those den- knew those dentists. I knew they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth, which had not begun to ache. They would not let sleeping dogs lie. And if you give them an inch, they'd take them all. Now, what he's saying is, Christ wants to do more than just deaden the pain. He wants to do more than just, you don't have to pay for your sin. He wants more than that. The Sermon on the Mount shows us what he wants to do. He wants to revolutionize the way that I live and the way that you live. Now, we may have been walking with God for years, some of us, and we probably think, well, we've read that loads of times. Yeah, we have, and that's good. But we need to read it again and again and again because I'm affected by my sin and I'm affected by the world that I live in. And my heart can grow hard very quickly. How seriously do we take the Sermon on the Mount and how seriously should we take it? Because Christ seems to talk with great authority when he speaks about his kingdom. He seems to know which is the way to destruction and which is the way to life. He knows who's least and who's great in his kingdom. He knows who will be blessed in God's eyes. He knows who will be merciful, who will be filled, who will be, um, trying to think of all of them. (laughs) You get the picture. He knows and he talks with great authority. He's serious about this. He is serious about how we live, how we operate. He's not talking about social reform. He's not saying... You change your society first. He's saying you change first and then society will be different because you are in the world and you have an effect. What did Gary say a few weeks ago about... um, Making a difference. Thank you. Making a difference. He wants to change me. He wants to change you. I'm coming into a close now. I'm going to read one more thing and then I'm going to pray. Uh, And the thing I'm going to read is by John Stott. Now, he had written this uh, study on the Sermon on the Mount and his conclusion is this, about how seriously we need to take this. He says, if we take Jesus at his words and his claims at face value, In this case, we must respond to the Sermon on the Mount with deadly seriousness. For here is this picture of God's alternative society. These are the standards, the values and the priorities of of the kingdom of God. Too often the church has turned away from this challenge and sunk into a bourgeois conformatist respectability. At such times, it is almost indistinguishable from the world. It has lost its saltiness, 
its light is extinguished and it repels all idealists. For it gives no evidence that it is God's new society which is tasting already the joys and the powers of the age to come. Only when Christian communities live by Christ's manifesto will the world be attracted and God will be glorified. So when Jesus calls us to himself, it is to this that he calls us. For he is the Lord of the counterculture. Sad, isn't it? When you think that the church can just slip in to a respectability with the world and bring no salt, no light to the world, bring no challenge, bring no alternative. And at that time, the church is powerless because it is, it's sleeping whilst it should be activated and moving forward in God's kingdom. Now, I don't believe that that's us. I hope that's not us. I hope that's not you. And I hope it's not me. But let's wrestle with this. Let's get to grips with this. And let's be challenged by God's word because I'm sure we believe that God's word can change us if we apply it and if we allow him to to change us through it. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that your word is truth and it is solid. And we're able to stand on your word. Father, we pray that... Through this, through your word, through looking more deeply at the Sermon on the Mount, we pray that you will make us uncomfortable in the things in our lives that we've allowed to slip. And I pray, Lord, that you will, you will give us an appetite for your way of living, your kingdom life. I pray, Father, that, uh, that you will start a small revolution in each one of us in areas of our lives that we don't yield to you, in areas of our lives that we're afraid, in the areas of our life where we're still comfortable maybe with our sin and maybe with our disobedience to to your word. Father, help us to be pliable in your hands. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will have your way in our lives. If you are Lord of our lives, then we we need to, to let you have our lives. So, Lord, we pray that as we set out uh, and look at this series and as we set out into this new week, we pray that you, pardon me, you will challenge us and that you will have your way in each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.